0: And the prayer giants all know it all the prayer giants know that god is powerful their heavenly father is rich he's wise and he's powerful all the prayer giants know this about a month ago i preached a small series of messages on prayer entitled praying with the giants how many remember that raise your hand Okay, that's almost everyone. What I would like to do with you tonight is I would like to review all three of those messages in one sermon tonight. Now, you can always go back and go online and watch each one. Each one was about 40 minutes. So let's see, 40 times three, I'm not preaching that long. But I'm taking the highlights of all three and I'm combining them and bringing them to you tonight. Now, you might wonder, why review these sermons on prayer? You preached them once already. Isn't that enough? Well, I do believe um, that prayer is probably one of the most important subjects. Not the only subject, but certainly one of the most important subjects that we could um, review or deal with or study. In fact, it's my firm belief, get this, it's my firm belief that all through our Christian pilgrimage here on earth, we're going to be learning more and more about prayer. Um, The prayer giants themselves don't know all there is to know about prayer. They know a lot. And uh, let's let's be honest, there are prayer giants uh, amongst God's family in the world today, scattered around in different countries around the world. And these godly men and women saved, breathing heaven's air, these wonderful prayer warriors, they know more about prayer than we do. But how did they get that way? Well, they had to start somewhere. And they started and they had trial and error, but they learned from the word of God. And I'm not about to classify myself uh, in the camp of some of the great prayer warriors that the church has seen down through the years. But I do believe in prayer. I do love prayer. And the messages I preached a month ago um, come from personal experience that has changed my life. One of the best prayer meetings I've ever been in was uh, 34 years ago now, I think. And it was just me and the Lord. And I got alone with the Lord for six hours in prayer. And it was a real wrestle, a battle. And at the end of it, I just felt like God has heard me. It just felt like winning winning a battle, winning a war is what it felt like. About um, two years ago, I was in another one of those prayer meetings. Only this time it was eight hours. With just me and the Lord, eight hours in the prayer closet. I don't know all there is to know about prayer, but I do know more now in my Christian life than I've ever known before. And a month ago, I took the, the three best, choicest secrets of prayer, and I put them together into three messages for you. And you can always go back and re-watch them. But what I want to do is do a summary of those for you tonight. You see, it was the Apostle Peter who said these words in 2 Peter 1.12. He said, Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though ye know them, and be established in the present truth. And Peter was saying, although you know these biblical truths, I'm going to keep reminding you about them. There are some things in life that we just need to hear over and over. You, uh, you probably know some of them already. Prayer is one of them. And so let's bow our heads and close our eyes and pray. And then let's get right into it. Heavenly Father, help us tonight. Help us to go on a very delightful journey. Help us to become prayer warriors, prayer giants. For so many of us, prayer is a difficult thing because just like it says in Romans chapter 8, we don't know what to pray for as we should. Father, thank you that the Holy Spirit knows how to pray. He knows how to pray about everything, intelligently and precisely according to your will. And so we humble ourselves and ask, Father, that you would have the Holy Spirit guide us into truth and strengthen us the whole church family strengthen us so that we too can become prayer giants in jesus name amen well my first message that i preached a month ago was entitled pray big pray big would you please say those words out loud with me pray big say it one more time pray big that was the title of the first sermon Take your Bible, please, and turn to the New Testament book of Ephesians, chapter 1. Ephesians, chapter 1. And you folks at home, please turn in your Bible, too. We're going to be looking at a a couple of verses of Scripture tonight. I'm going to be needing your help to help me to read a couple of these. And we're going to start in Ephesians, chapter 1, and verses 18 and 19. And I'd like you to read them out loud. Keep your seats. But let's read these verses out loud because you see Paul here is encouraging the Christians to learn to pray big. He's showing them how great and big God is. So let's read verses 18 and 19. Let's go. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power. And so here Paul is reminding the Christians that God is big. You know why we call him Almighty God? You know why? He's God, right? But the might refers to his power. And the all might says that he has all power. All power. There's no power he doesn't have. The world boasts itself of different types of power. Political power, financial power, military power, nuclear power. Hmm? These are nothing. These are pipsqueaks compared to God because God owns all power. Listen, on earth and in heaven. God has power we've never even heard of. If you went back a few years, if you could get in a time machine and go back a few years and talk about Google and talk about cell phones, people would look at you And say, what planet are you from? How about these uh, ion lithium batteries? Mmm. Mmm, Jim Bob, ion lithium batteries. Yes, these are the real super deluxe things that power all kinds of goodies, including those uh, scooter boards and, and things. Ion lithium. You go back a few years, no one ever heard of it. How many actually, uh, I'm just curious, how many actually have heard of ion lithium batteries? Raise your hand. There's not many hands going up. Okay, well, uh, welcome to the tw- year 2021. <laughs> uh, there's things happening that we, n- we just didn't know about a few years ago. A few years ago, talk about COVID 19. What? Oh, yeah, it's going to happen. And the whole world is going to get COVID 19. And they'd look at us and say, yeah, right. What have you been smoking? Look what happened. Now we talk about it as if it were reality. (laughs) Duh, of course it is reality. God has power that we've never even dreamt of. He is all might. And then we put the, the letter Y. We put that on there because it gives the characteristics that God has the characteristics of all power. He's almighty God. That's why we call him almighty God. And Paul here in Ephesians chapter 1 is reminding the Christians that we serve an almighty, powerful God. There's nothing that God cannot do. And we think, oh, if if only somehow this could happen, or oh, what a dream it would be if that would happen. It's nothing for God. Nothing, nothing for God at all. One day, Jesus is going to come back to earth. His feet will touch the Mount of Olives and it will split in two. All of the enemies of the world with all of their powers will try to to, uh, uh, shoot him out of the sky. When he comes back at the end of the tribulation, Jesus will say two words to them. Drop dead. And they will. The sword that proceeds from his mouth will slay all of the the ungodly, the wicked, the enemies. They'll die. They'll just Over they'll go. And for months and months, the fowls of the air, the vultures and so on, will feast on their flesh. And for months and months, there'll be a lot of um, uh, funeral business going on, dealing with all that. But Jesus will change the world. The world is in such pandemonium these days. All over the world, we've got extremes in heat and fire and flood. It's happening worldwide. We used to hear about happening over here and over there, but it's now everywhere. And diseases and economic insanity and wars and rumors of wars. And they've got new technology that's scary. Everyone's lost their privacy. That's the world we live in. And Jesus is going to change all that. And he's going to bring in peace worldwide. They'll beat their swords into plowshares. Well, that would be a miracle. God is a God of miracles. It's going to happen. And what we've learned here in Ephesians 1, 18 and 19 is that God is powerful and the prayer giants all know it. All the prayer giants know That God is powerful. Their heavenly father is rich. He's wise and he's powerful. All the prayer giants know this. That's part of becoming a prayer giant. All the prayer giants know to pray big. Because big prayer requests bring about big glory for God. Do you think God deserves big glory? What do you think? Does, God, does your God deserve big glory? Because mine does. My, my God is the God of the Bible. And as I read the Bible over and over and over and over, I read where he's glorified in great big ways. I want my life to help glorify him. When God had Noah build an ark, that was a big thing. When he sent a flood, that was so big it was worldwide. When God brought his people out of Egypt and had them cross the Red Sea on dry ground, that was a very big thing. When he gave them the promised land, that was an extremely big thing. When God brought down the walls of Jericho, that was a big thing. When he made the sun stand still so Israel could win a war, that was an unbelievably big thing. When he did uh, miracles through Elijah and Elisha, that was very, very big indeed. When Jesus opened the eyes of the blind and the ears of the deaf and raised the dead, I mean, can you get much bigger? Those are big things. Big, big things. When Jesus told his disciples to go into all the world and preach the gospel, that is a big thing. Did you know that Jesus has told Grace Baptist Church to go into all the world and preach the gospel? Did you know that? How is Grace Baptist Church going to do that? Well, it's going to be God's mighty power. And a hundred missionaries, that helps too. Now, a hundred missionaries is not enough for eight billion people, but it's a good start. You know, it's better than no missionaries. How about that? Would you agree with that? We can do a lot more with 100 missionaries than we can with zero missionaries. Would you agree to that? And you know something? We're hearing reports of people getting saved. We just saw a little video there, the Rhymers in Liberia. And I'm just squirming in my seat pray, praising the Lord. Man, that's great. They're handing out gospel tracts and, and gospel literature and people are taking them and his phone is ringing off the hook. And I'm thinking, Lord, when, when will our phone ring off the hook? We've handed out 18,000 gospel literatures this year alone. So far. I think we're going to break 20,000. What do you think? Going to break 20,000? Yeah, it's funny now, isn't it? At the beginning of the year, 20,000. Ooh, let's not get our hopes too high. Well, look what God is doing. You say, well, where are the the people getting saved? Well, that's where we have to trust the Lord. We sow the seed, we water it with our prayers and our tears, but the Bible is very specific. God gives the increase. There are some mission fields where it just seems the people are ready. In Liberia, they've come through years of war and hardship. We haven't done that here, have we? You know, we've come through a lot of... uh, of plenty and material wealth and maybe this is what's holding back people from getting saved i don't know but i do know god's still in control and i do know that god is not willing that any should perish and i know that god's command to our church is to go into all the world starting right here in our jerusalem surrey you know i'm asking god for 10 percent of surrey to be saved you know that i've made that public 10 percent doesn't sound like much but 10% of Surrey is 65,000 people. And if 65,000 people got saved this Sunday, where would we put them? All of the Bible-believing churches in Surrey couldn't hold 65,000 people. We'd be meeting out in the fields. We'd need big speakers and microphones to try and teach them the things of God. And How long does it take to baptize 65,000 people? I think we'd run into the afternoon doing it. What do you think? A little humor there, by the way. Think big. Pray big. We serve a big God. All through the Bible, we see prayer giants who prayed for big things for God, and we've seen the same thing down through the last 2,000 years of church history. It's always the same. Every one of us here tonight, and everyone watching online, every one of us ought to have a couple of things on our prayer list That are so big, they're scary. That are so big that it's humanly impossible to accomplish and only the power of God can do it. If you have nothing like that on your prayer list, how about fixing that tonight? How about putting something down on paper on your prayer list that you're going to start praying for daily? At the end of the message, I'll give you a couple suggestions. Missionary Hudson Taylor was just a medical trainee in England. And he brought the gospel of Jesus Christ to China and saw tens and tens of thousands of people saved. And he is quoted as saying, You do not need a great faith, but you need faith in a great God. You see the difference? Missionary William Carey was just a shoe cobbler that was as low on the rung you can get. He wasn't even a shoemaker. He was a shoe cobbler. These guys did repairs, cheap repairs. He took the gospel to India and he saw tens of thousands of souls saved and he is quoted as saying these words, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. That's important. Evangelist D.L. Moody was just an uneducated boot and shoe salesman. And he preached throughout America and England and saw one million souls come to know Christ. And he is quoted as saying, God doesn't expect the impossible from us. He wants us to expect the impossible from Him. You see the difference? It was missionary George Mueller who was a thief and a liar as a youngster who got saved. And God called him to Bristol, England as a missionary. And he started reaching poor orphans on the streets with the gospel. He soon began building homes for them all by faith until finally he was housing and feeding and schooling 10,000 orphans at a time. He did it all through faith and prayer. He never made his needs known to anyone else, but God. And God kept miraculously bringing it in. It's estimated that in today's dollars, George Mueller handled something like $500 million of money that God brought in. And he is quoted as saying, Faith does not operate in the realm of the possible. There is no glory for God in that which is humanly possible. Faith begins where man's power ends. And I'm telling you, one of the greatest lessons that I've learned is pray big. Pray outside your realm of possibility. Pray outside your strength. Pray outside of your finances. Pray outside of your wisdom. Pray outside of all of your connections and your influence. Pray that something so big would happen that it's scary. It's scary big. That's the kind of big thing you want to be praying for. Take your Bible, please, and turn to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. Gospel of John. Chapter 15. I want you to see verses 7 and 8, and I want you to read it out loud. You folks at home, read out loud too, would you please? John 15, verses 7 and 8. Are we ready? Let's begin reading. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. Oh ho, ho! I love it when God writes us a blank check. Don't you? That's what we've got here. The charismatics have taken the word prosperity, which is a good Bible word, and they've turned it around. They've put a a sensual, a worldly twist on it. And that's why we refer to it as the prosperity gospel, because they're not really preaching a true gospel. They're preaching a get-rich-quick-for-me kind of religion. And that stuff stinks. That's horrible. And yet the Bible does speak of prosperity. The pro- we say, well, then what is it? The prosperity means that God prospers us as his servants to bring him forth much fruit. God prospers us so that we can glorify him. Jesus spoke of a, an earthly Lord going away and God his three servants together and gave, you know, a, a good sum of money to one and a moderate sum and a small sum to the third one. You remember this story, this parable? And so then the Lord went off when he comes back. The first guy comes and says, Lord, you gave me 10 pounds. Here is your 10 plus another 10. I've made you this profit. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. And then the second one, Lord, you gave me five. Here's your five and five more. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. And then the third guy comes. Lord, you gave me one, here it is. I went and buried in the earth. I knew you're a hard guy to work for. You reap what you don't sow. And so there you go. Take what is thine. And Jesus said, oh, you wicked servant. Yeah. And he cast him out into, what was it, weeping and gnashing of teeth. He called him a wicked servant. I'll tell you something. When I see my, my Lord, I do not want to show up empty-handed. Christian, will you have... Something to show your Lord when he comes for you or when he calls you. You see here, the Lord Jesus is writing us a blank check. And he's saying, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you can ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. Herein is my father glorified that ye bring forth much fruit. God is glorified in much fruit. That's why we want to use our lives while we can to bring forth much fruit for God. So many people in this world, they bring forth much fruit for themselves. They don't want to be God's servant and bring forth much fruit for God. You do that and God will not only meet your needs, he'll bless you. And then when you get to heaven, you are going to be the billionaires in heaven. Now I use that term a little loosely there but you get what I'm saying? If we will live our lives for the Lord and bring him much fruit, he's going to look after us here on earth. He's going to give us extra blessings, but it's when we get home to heaven, enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. And so we learn here that uh, Jesus is telling us in order to glorify God, we need to be bringing forth much fruit. How are we going to do that? We're going to do that by asking big. We're going to start with big. Here at Grace Baptist Church, we want to see God save 10% of Surrey. 65,000 people. Imagine if 65,000 people tried to come to Grace Baptist Church this, this Sunday. What kind of crowd would that look like? You've seen some of the crowds on TV of the Vaisakhi parade or something. You've seen that, haven't you? Have you seen some of these stadiums around the world where they hold soccer games and they can have 50,000? Have you ever seen pictures like that? You imagine people like that lined up at the door, want to come into church, into a church that'll hold 250, I think. huh? And we got 65,000 people waiting out there. You say, oh, that'll never happen. (laughs) It won't as long as you don't think it will. We need to ask big because it brings glory to God. In Psalm 35:18, it says, I will give thee thanks in the great congregation. I will praise thee among much people. So the first two words, pray big. Say those words with me now. Pray big. Now the second sermon was entitled, pray believing. Say those two words with me. Pray believing. Say them once more. Pray believing. The first two words were what? Pray big. The second two words are? Pray Pray believing. Good. Now, perhaps one of the most powerful prayer promises in the entire Bible was given to us in Mark chapter 11. Let's go there now. If you're in John, turn back a few pages. Mark chapter 11. And I want you to go to verse number 24. Ah, talk about a blank check. It doesn't get simpler, easier. It doesn't... You, you, can't, you can't mess this up. Mark eleven twenty four. Again, read it out loud with me, please. And you folks at home, too. Let's all read out loud. Very important. Let's do it. Therefore, I say unto you, What things soever ye desire, when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. Jesus was teaching his disciples the importance of simple, plain belief in the promises of God. And this is a promise of God. It requires faith. That's what we're talking about. Faith to believe the promises of God in order to see great things happen. We must approach it with faith. And that's why Paul wrote in Hebrews 11.6, But without faith, it is impossible to please him. That's why also he wrote in Romans 1.17, the just shall live by faith. Faith is the key, folks. That's why we must do everything we can to increase our faith in the Word of God. We've been laboring on that for months now, that underlying theme. Lord, increase our faith. We've been working at that as a church staff, we've been putting together the Sunday and Wednesday services to help grow the faith of God's people so that we stagger not at the promises of God. I'm telling you, if Abraham were here tonight, he would not stagger at the promise of God in Mark 11:24. He'd yip and hallelujah and jump around and say, hot dog, that's for me. He'd say, I believe it. I believe that God meant what he said. And I do too, by the way. You know, in Mark chapter 11, we have the Lord Jesus, starting in about verse 20, coming and seeing a fig tree with leaves that looked like it should have fruit. And so he was hungry, so he went toward the tree. And when he got there, all it had were leaves. There were no fruit. And that's when he cursed the fig tree. And then the next day, as they're coming by the same road, the disciples see the very same tree that's withered up from the, from the ground up. The thing looked like a, it's been baptized in prune juice or something. It's all, you know, wrinkly and, and gnarly and everything. And they comment to the Lord and they say, Lord, here's the tree that you cursed. And that's when Jesus starts teaching them about faith. They're right there by the Mount of Olives. And he says here, verse 23, well, 22, have faith in God. Verse 23, for verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. And then he gives us this promise. Therefore, I say unto you. What things soever ye desire, when ye pray, believe that ye receive them and ye shall have them. That is one of the most powerful promises of prayer anywhere in the Word of God. There are hundreds, there are thousands of promises of God in the Bible. But I think this one is one of the most important. Now, before all of this happened, just a couple chapters behind, in Mark chapter 9, an amazing story happened. So turn there to Mark chapter 9. Here in Mark chapter 9, Jesus and three of his disciples, you see in verse 2 there, Peter, James, and John, they went up to the Mount of Transfiguration. They had a marvelous time. Meanwhile, there were nine disciples waiting at the foot of the mountain. And a little crowd had gathered because a father, a man with a broken heart, brought his son To the nine disciples down at the foot of the mountain, his son had somehow gotten demon-possessed. Demon possession was rife back then in those days because people were opening spiritual doors. People are sometimes doing that today. There are parts of the world, I think, that have more demon possession in them, but demon oppression is everywhere. In every country, every city, you cannot escape it. This, this world, Satan still has his clutches on this world. And so here's the poor father with his pitiful son. And the son was demon possessed. And I don't know what it would be like having to live in a home with a boy like that. Where you couldn't, you couldn't just have a normal night's rest. You had to maybe tie the boy down somehow into his bed. Because he might be up in the middle of the night with a knife ready to murder, you know, the other members of the family. What a horrible existence. We don't know all the horrors and the, and the nightmares and maybe the sleepless nights this father's gone through. And so he comes to the disciples and the nine disciples were powerless. They couldn't seem to cast the demon out. They tried. They couldn't do it. And that's when Jesus shows up. He comes down the side of the mountain with Peter, James, and John. He says, what's going on? And the father comes to Jesus And so we have this story here for us, and we'll pick it up in verse 17. One of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. And wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him, and he foameth and gnasheth with his teeth and pineth away. And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out, and they they could not. And so Jesus says, O faithless generation, and then we pick it up in verse 22, um, the father speaking here. And oft times it hath cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. So this was a horrible thing that the demon was doing to the boy. Then the father continued, "But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us." Now get your pencil ready, underline this. But Jesus said unto him, underline these words, "If thou canst believe." All things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway, the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. This is an amazing story. And you know that Jesus healed the boy because the father did have faith to believe that what Jesus was saying was true. You know, believe ye that I can do this? Yea, Lord, I believe. Then be it unto you. That's essentially what we have going on here. The second great lesson of prayer, great prayer, is to pray believing. Pray believing that God meant what He said. God's not playing games with us. He wrote us a blank check in Mark 11, 24. And if you can believe, I mean, take the lesson from the the father of the demoniac kid. If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. You see, folks, what we're talking about is going outside of our three-dimensional world. That's where God's power operates. We have certain power, prestige, politics. We have certain perfections and so on. But they're so tiny and puny and really worthless. And God stands there with His almighty power, ready to move mountains and open the Red Sea and cast out the demons and do incredible miracles. And He just asks us, do you believe? Because all things are possible to him that believeth. That's why we have these stories in the Bible. In Matthew chapter 9, two blind men came to Jesus asking Jesus to heal their blindness. They were totally blind. And so Jesus turned and asked them a simple question in Matthew 9 28 believe ye that I am able to do this? And both of them said, Yea, Lord. So in verse 29, then according to your faith, be it unto you. Now stop, pause for a minute. Do you have anything that you really, really, really hope God does? Is there anything in your life, in your heart? Is there anything you've been praying for? Maybe for weeks, months, years even. Just hoping against hope that God would somehow, somewhere, someday... Answer this prayer of yours. Is there anything like that? Well, I'm here to tell you that Jesus is now asking you a question. Believe ye that I am able to do this. What are you going to answer? I've told you this story, true story, about a small church that was having a revival. In that church, there was a a wayward son. He'd really gone off, left the church, and got into some pretty bad sin. And people were praying for him. To get right with God. And so they were having an evangelist in. They were having a revival. And people were at the altar. The pastor was at the altar. The back doors opened. And in walks this black sheep of the family. In walks the wayward son. And word quickly spread. And they mentioned his name. And there's the pastor on his knees. And when he heard that the name of the young Man, the the wayward young boy, the first word out of the pastor's mouth was, no. Well, no wonder. No wonder. You pray for rain and you leave your umbrella at home. You pray for a miracle, but you say, nah, it's not really going to happen. Believe ye that I'm able to do this. What will your answer be? Because Jesus said, according to your faith, be it unto you. And if you have no faith, there's your answer. And if you have faith, there's your answer. Mark 11.24, in my humble opinion, is one of the greatest Bible verses on answer to prayer. Pray believing. Did Jesus really mean what he said? Now listen to this. Think about this. You come and see me after the sermon if you think it's wrong. But Mark 11:24 What things soever ye desire when ye pray believe that ye receive them and ye shall have them. Now I want to put a caution there. We're talking in the context of being God's servant asking some great thing for God's glory. Why do you want that lost husband or that lost wife or that lost child to be saved so you can hold your head high and say, look at me, boys. i got a saved husband now. Look at me. i got a saved wife. Why do you want the thing you're praying for? And if it's for God's glory, then I can assure you, you are praying according to His will. But pastor, how can I know that what I'm praying for is really according to his will. Is it for God's glory? Yeah, but I, I want it to be for God's glory, but I'm going to rejoice a little in there too. That's okay. But the overall effect, is it for God's glory? Yes, I believe it is. Then you keep praying for that because you are in God's will. What things soever ye desire when ye pray, Believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. That's the promise of God. The third sermon that I preached was on two words. How many remember what they were? Pray B-times. Pray B-times. Say it with me. Pray B-times. B-E-T-I-M-E-S. B-times. And it means clickety-click. It means be on top of it. It means don't quit. B times means don't be slack. If something's important, you're going to be right on top of it, aren't you? How many here have ever helped a loved one? They've had an accident. They've fallen. They got cut, broken bone or something. How many have ever done that? You've helped a loved one in time of emergency. Three hands. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Really? Think, think. Has there not been a child that you've rushed to their aid? Huh? Has there not been someone? Hmm? Oh, I think if you thought about it, yeah, you'd probably think of someone, right? Okay, and so you're in the room and you hear them scream. So what do you do? Open up your newspaper and you say, well, I sure hope they're okay. And you keep reading your newspaper, watching your TV program. No, no. You're right there. You leave the couch. You leap into the room. You're right there. What can I do? What needs to be done? And you're right on top of things. And that's what be times means. You're right on top of it. You know something? This is maybe the most important of the three messages. I want you to take your Bible, please, and turn to Luke chapter 11. This is our last verse of Scripture we're going to look at. Luke chapter 11. Again, teaching of the Lord Jesus on how to get your prayers answered. Pray big, pray believing, but this one, if you don't do this one, you're not going to get your prayers answered. Luke chapter 11, and look at verse 5. I'll read it just for the sake of time. You follow along here in your Bible. Luke 11, verse 5. And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend, and shall go unto him at midnight, and shall say unto him, Friend, Lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine in his journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. Now verse 8. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend, he won't do it because of relationship. Yet, because of his importunity, that's his persistence, because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. Folks, this is the key, I think, is you don't quit. You don't stop. You're always on top, asking God for this great, miraculous, wonderful, big thing, for his honor, for his glory, and you're believing his promise in Mark eleven twenty-four and Luke 11, 5 to 8, You're not quitting. You're not giving up. You're not going to lay down and roll over and play dead. You're going to keep asking and asking and seeking and knocking and knocking. Here in verses 5 and 6, this man had a legitimate request. It wasn't a foolish greed. It wasn't a vain thing. Verse 7, we see the resistance. Trouble me not. It's nighttime. The door's locked. I'm in bed with the kids. I cannot. Well, let me ask you. He said he could not, but could he really? Yes or no? Yes, he really could. It's just he didn't want to. I cannot. And God may tell you that. I cannot. Well, don't turn your back and lower your head and tuck your tail between your legs and walk home. Oh, well... Don't do that. You're on an errand, a mission. You cannot turn away until you get what it is you're going for because you already know it's for God's glory and you want to bring forth much fruit. And so you've got no reason to quit. And so here, verse 8, we see the key that got the man what he had asked for. It's the very same principle in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Too many of us quit. The devil is working overtime to get us to quit praying. Don't pray. Don't pray. Stop praying. How does he do this? Number one, he gets us to think that our prayers will never be answered. Oh, look, you've prayed for three years. What's happened? Nothing. Quit. You've marched around Jericho for six days now. Have you seen any crack in the wall? Nothing. Quit. Quit. So he'll get you to quit by making you think you're never going to get your answer. Number 2, he'll get you to quit by getting you to commit a sin because sin brings guilt and guilt stops prayer. Look what happened to Adam who fellowshiped with God, walked with God in the garden until he sinned. And then he took off and hid from God. And sin does the same for you and for me. When we sin, we kind of don't feel like praying and asking God for great things. Number three, the devil will get us to quit praying by getting us to forget to pray. He'll get you going tonight. I'm sorry, meaning you get yourself going tonight. I'm going to pray for this great thing. Tomorrow morning you pray. Tomorrow night you've forgotten. The next day, oh yeah. And you pray again. And then you forget for three more days. And then, oh yeah. And you pray and then you forget for two weeks. And he specializes in turning on your little forgetter. Every one of us has got a little forgetter in there. We forget things all the time. and He'll get you to forget. Number four, the fourth way that the devil will get you to quit praying is he'll get you sidetracked with other things. Maybe good things. But he'll get you sidetracked so that you lose interest. You lose interest in praying. The prayer giants, what do they do? When they commit a sin, they confess their sin and they keep on praying. What do they do? When they think their prayers will never be answered, they keep on praying. The prayer giants, I'm talking. What do they do? When they get sidetracked, they get back on the right track. What do they do? When they forget, they give themselves a little clunk on the head and they make a reminder. They make themselves a reminder. Like you, you're going to go to the grocery store and you've got a dozen things. What do you do? Usually. Usually. How many people are able to remember a dozen different things on a shopping list? Some can. But most of us, we have to, what? Write them down. That's what you need to do, is you need to write down your prayer requests so you don't forget. James 5.16, the effectual fervent prayers of a righteous man availeth much. Fervency is like a boiling pot. You cannot quit. You will stay Fervent as you stay in the spiritual fight. You will stay fervent as you keep your eye on the need for which you're praying. You will stay fervent as you seek every day to please the Lord Jesus Christ. This builds fervency in your heart and my heart. In Luke 18, we have the story of a poor widow who was unjustly done, and so she goes to a judge who happens to be a godless character. And she tries to seek justice out of a godless judge who wants nothing to do with this lady. And at first, he just walks past her, won't listen to her, won't give her the time of day. But she doesn't quit. She must have heard the story of the friend at midnight because she's... On top of this, Judge, she's after him every day, every day, every day, every day, every day, until he says to myself, I don't fear God. I hate people. But if this woman doesn't, you know, stop, I'm going to go crazy. And so, okay, lady, what do you want? All right, here you go. She got it. She got it. Jesus gave us that story to teach us to do the same thing in prayer. Not for selfish needs, folks. For things that will glorify God and bring him much fruit. And you do these things and you will get what it is you are praying for. Jacob in the Old Testament wrestled all night with the angel until he got the blessing. Moses held up his arms while the battle was going on in the valley below. And as long as his arms were up, Israel was winning. But as they got tired and heavy, they came down and the Amalekites started winning so two guys, Aaron and Hur, came to his side and they put him on a, on a chair, on a stone to sit down. Moses, we'll hold up your arms. And they held up his arms all that day until the battle was finally won. And that's what you have to do. You have to pray and pray and pray and pray and not quit and pray and pray. And I'll tell you what you can use to help you pray is this little tool right here, your prayer list. We all got them. You got one tonight when you came in. You folks at home, you were emailed this, printed out. Use something, anything. I have several different prayer reminders at home in my prayer closet, in my car, in my office. I have several different prayer reminders to remind me to keep praying and not to quit and to keep praying and praying. Folks, we really can become prayer giants We really honestly can pray with the giants. We can see incredible things happen. If we'll, what's the first one? Say it with me. Pray big. Second one, pray believing. Say it, pray believing that God really meant what he said. And this third one, pray be times. Say it, pray be times. We can become prayer warriors. Now, please write this down. You folks at home, write this down. I want to give you a couple suggestions what I'd like you to pray for. If we're going to pray big and pray believing and pray be times, let's do it together. Because if we all pull on the same end of the rope and we all pull in the same direction, we're going to move mountains. Number one, pray someone gets saved this Sunday. Every week, be praying for the coming Sunday. Lord, this Sunday, let someone be saved. Let someone come in who's not saved and let them be saved this coming Sunday. So number one, pray for someone to be saved. Number two, pray that our church grows. Our building, we figure, can comfortably hold 250 people. So pray that God would grow our church. Now, write this carefully. 250 good hearted people we don't want 250 church splitters we don't want 250 wolves in sheep's clothing we want 250 good hearted people ok number 3 pray that God gives us 10 full time students for the Bible college did you know that 2 Timothy 2:2 is still in the Bible and the things which thou hast heard of me among Many witnesses, the same, commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. That's a command. How can our church obey that command if we don't have the students to teach the two? God has graciously given us a Bible college. Folks, we need to get on board. Now is the time. In one month, Bible college begins. We need to start now. And we need to be bombarding God in heaven. Lord, 10, 10, count them, 10 full-time students. Lord, give us 10 full-time students, good students. Pray that God does this. And number four, pray for that 104 building and the money to fix it up. You talk about something that's outrageous, the 104 building would fit that bill. That building is so ginormous. That's exactly why we want it. Because the whole city knows about that building. And when God gives us that building, we are going to have the attention of this city and we'll be able to preach the gospel like never before for God's glory. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.